Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your CIF Southern Section Sports Podcast, where we try to cover as many sports as possible and talk to as many coaches and student athletes as possible. This week, I welcome head Crespi football coach, Damian Porter. Coach, thanks for taking the time to join me. Happy to be here, Tony. Thank you for having me, man. What is the Damian Porter story? You, you went to Crenshaw High, and you played for Robert Garrett, and then you went to a small school in Nebraska. But what's your story from then up until now? Um, after college, I spent nine years in the AFL, um, the Arena Football League, and um, from two from ninety. Eight um, to 2006, 2007, um, that's all I did. Um, I, I sold cars in the offseason uh, to make ends meet. I was making about a five-figure salary uh, for the better part of, of the Arena League. And then towards the latter part of my career, um, you know, the players in the league started making a little bit more money. And, you know, we were able to kind of, you know, fend for ourselves a little bit more financially. Um, so I was able to do that for as long as I could and started coaching high school ball uh, in 2004 at Culver City High School. I got my start down in Culver City. I did that for three years. And um, by my second year in 2005, uh, I'd become the offensive coordinator. I ran the offense at Culver for you know a couple years, 2005, 2006, and had a bunch of fun doing that. And it was at that time um, where I, I think I, I sort of started to think about my transition out of, out of pro football, uh, because it was, it was how I spent my off season. I would, I would play arena ball in the spring and summer and then come back home and coach high school ball in the fall. And so I was, you know, I was doing football year round and, uh, you know, coaching while playing was a, was a very unique experience for me because it gave me the opportunity to, to be a coach and a participant at the same time. And I think that's what kind of helped fuel my transition. And after the 2006 season uh, at Culver City, I knew coaching was what I wanted to do. So I retired from the Arena League, went back and finished uh, my master or my my bachelor's degree. Uh, continued to stay in school, got a, a master's degree and a, a teaching credential, so that I could, um, you know, find work as a teacher uh, and at, at the high school level or you know at the community college level, which I did for a couple of years. I coached at Pierce College. I coached in Antelope Valley Community College. Um, I kind of went back and forth between high school and community college uh, before I settled um, on a high school career. Uh, I was previously an assistant here at Crespi uh, in 2009 under Jeremiah Ross, and I came back in 2013 under Coach Thomas and uh, taught freshman PE and coached the offense here again and finally got my chance to be a head coach in 2014 um, when the, when the head coaching job at, at Luzinger opened up down in Hawthorne, uh, you know, at that time, you know, the program was struggling a little bit and I wanted to be a head coach and, you know, Luzinger was looking for a guy and I was looking for a place to coach. So, uh, you know, left Crespi and went there and started building. You played, you played at Crenshaw and you played for Robert Garrett, correct? Yeah. What was he like as a coach? He's a very... Um, 
I don't know. I tried to deal with him one year. I did a state game and he was just, you know, never got back to you. But his program has been very successful. Uh, a lot of kids go to the next level. That's a tough place to coach and, and you know, get kids going out doing the right thing. What did you learn from him? Uh, Coach Garrett's calling card for, you know, young people development is discipline and accountability. Um, we weren't the football program that, that Crenshaw is now. Uh, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when we were in school, Crenshaw was really good in basketball. Uh, we, it's probably fair to say we probably underachieved a little bit on the field for, for quite some time. Um, it wasn't until after I'd graduated, you know, a decade or so after I was done before Crenshaw got really competitive in football. But in terms of, you know, what I learned from Coach Garrett really was, you know, just discipline and accountability. Uh, you know, as you said, uh, that community is tough to keep the players away from all the distractions and some of the negativity that surrounds the community. So uh, Coach Garrett is very aware of that and is dedicated his life uh, to coaching football in the inner city and helping young kids uh, to use academics and football as a way to get out of that community. Um, and But he also realized that, you know, a kid's not going to focus on school or football if his home life uh, is not intact. And um, he probably deals with more kids in that situation than most coaches. And uh, as long as he's been in Crenshaw, that's really, you know, been his main focus is making sure that the kids were in a safe, nurturing you know, uh, environment and, you know, he, coach Garrett's pretty tough. You know, a lot of people have said similar things to you, you know, he didn't give a lot of access. Um, you know, it's tough to get to know him and he's built up a really big wall, um, around his program. He protects his players and his coaches. I've been doing it for a long time and certainly, uh, you know, understands what he needs to provide for his kids to be successful. So, uh, I can't say that we were the best football team there, uh, but he kept a lot of us, you know, off the streets and, um, you know, has certainly helped me to 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 get out of that environment, to make a life for myself as well. He had an impact on my life for sure. That's great. That's awesome. And and then you go to Wayne State in Nebraska and, and playing college football is a great experience. But going from Crenshaw, the inner city of Los Angeles to Nebraska that had to be not only a, a culture shock, but a weather shock for you as well. 100%. Um, but, you know, my coach there was a guy named Dennis Wagner. And Dennis Wagner was, you know, the Wayne State version of Coach Garrett, right? Uh, Midwestern guy, uh, disciplinarian, um, studied sports psychology, <clears throat> Um, had a tremendous impact um, on me, again, off the field. You know, I was a solid player. I was, you know, a pretty decent player. Um, a lot of my growth and development came from, you know, coaches uh, who, who who knew how to give tough love because that's what I needed as a young man um, to be successful. And I, I, I found myself um, being more attracted uh, to coaches that had that type of personality because that's what I was looking for. A uh, young man growing up without a father, I always found, you know, tough love coaches more attractive. Um, and so it's it's how I ended up with, you know, playing for Coach Garrett and subsequently how I ended up out at, 
uh, in Nebraska with uh, with Coach Wagner. And yeah, it was a little bit of a culture shock. Uh, but when you when you grow up where I grew up, uh, I welcomed the change uh, in weather and environment. Right. So it went from one extreme to the other, uh, but it was a life changing experience and, you know, provided for me the platform that I needed to reach my potential as a student and an athlete. So, um, no, no, no regrets there. Uh, I, I know a lot of my buddies thought I was crazy for for hopping on a plane to fly out to Wayne, Nebraska. But that experience um, really was the catalyst uh, to my, you know, my personal and professional growth as an adolescent and a young man. Then you played in the Arena League, and and obviously it's a different type of football. Obviously, smaller, faster. It seems like you're scoring on every play how did you adjust to playing a what's still football, but a different type of football? Um, took me a couple years. I think it, a lot of guys adapt to the two way player demands. You know, you got to play offense and defense. So um, it was really just kind of like tapping back into your high school experience, right? Where you play both ways and you run down on kickoff and you play defense uh, then you you go on kickoff return. Then you play some offense. Um, you know, I think the Arena League was a good fit uh, for a lot of guys like myself who who weren't quite good enough to get to the NFL, but you know maybe had a skill set uh, to offer um, in a different league. So uh, adapting was relatively easy. You know, I would have played football anywhere. You know, I love football, so it didn't matter if it was the NFL or the AFL. I had a chance to go to Canada to play in the CFL. Um, I would have played anywhere, Tony. Uh, I still would. I, I think for me, it was about continuing, having the opportunity to continue to play the game. Uh, I left Wayne State in Nebraska and drove eight hours to Des Moines, Iowa to play for the Iowa Barnstormers. And I uh, had a chance to play with Kurt Warner for a year and, you know, uh, transition into that league and, and continue to do what I wanted to do. Uh, which was to make a living playing professional football. Uh, it didn't matter if it was in a small town of Des Moines, Iowa, or you know, in a big town like Los Angeles. Um, to me, it was another opportunity to you know do what I enjoyed doing, and um, the transition was seamless. Some guys had a difficult time adjusting. <laughs> I did not, man. I loved it. Now, did you take anything away from that style of play? and put in your coaching style and philosophy and, and what, what did you take from that? Sure. Um, one of the things, uh, the nature of the arena football league, as you mentioned, uh, is, you know, all is an offensive driven game, right? It's a shorter field, uh, you know, 90% passing, um, a lot of stress on defensive players, um, hard to keep teams out of the end zone. Uh, I learned a few things. Uh, the first one uh, was as a professional, um, you know how to how to how to run and you know a, a football organization uh, from the top down, uh, whether it was player development or coach development. Um, I also learned uh, uh, football operations um, and, and and how to coordinate strength training with the equipment issue and how the medical needs need to be met. Um, how to schedule practice plans, um, you know, how to develop as a coach, um, how to run my off season. Um, remember I was playing and coaching at the same time. So I was able to take a lot of my 
plan experience and apply it to coaching immediately. Um, so much of the preparation that we use in the arena league was, I was able to translate uh, to the high school level right away. Um, in terms of coaching itself, uh, I think having a better understanding of player psychology, um, uh, having a better understanding of how, you know, off the field issues and distractions up, uh, affect player performance um, as a professional football player. Uh, also, uh, how to manage, you know, games from the coaching standpoint. Uh, I think in the arena league, for example, uh, we got in the game this past Friday um, and we gave up a touchdown late in the game. Uh, the goal, I think Ayala went up 35 to 30 with a little over four minutes left to go in a game. And where a lot of high school offenses uh, will, would have, you know, felt stress or pressure in that situation. To me, it was an eternity uh, because I had two timeouts in four minutes. Um, and the, my experience in the arena league uh, is that, you know, if you got four minutes on the clock, man, that's almost too much time. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can score 45 points in four minutes in the arena league. That's right. And so I just think that mentality and that experience of being in a, in a, in a, in a game where um, so much can happen in such a short period of time, I think uh, has really, you know, helped ground uh, my level of understanding of how to manage uh, late game situations uh, for our team. So I, that, that's an easy question. I could probably spend the whole segment um, talking about, you know, my experiences and how they translate, but you know, hopefully I was able to answer your question in short uh, to give you some context. Definitely. Now you become the head coach at Losinger and they're two and 38 before you get there. A program in disarray. First year you win four games, which for a lot of guys is not a successful year, but for a program like that, that had to be something really special for those kids. What did you do to get them on the winning track? You know, um, I think the first thing we did at Losinger was, you know, um, there was kids on campus. They weren't all playing football, um, but there, there was some talent there. Uh, I think without being in the environment prior to me getting there, um, there just seemed to be some hesitation to want to come out um, and play for the previous coaching staff. And, you know, a lot of players were, uh, you know, disenchanted uh, with the football program. And I, I was coming from Crespi as an assistant. Um, obviously, Crespi's history uh, and, and the reputation of the program uh, gave me some credibility walking in the door. Uh, so that was the first thing. I think just going and introducing myself and, you know, talking to the kids about my background and my experience. Uh, prior to going to Wayne State, I spent a couple years at El Camino College. Uh, so I was very familiar with the Luzinger kids and a lot of the people in the community knew who I was. Luzinger is two blocks from El Camino. And so uh, that was sort of my old stopping grounds. I grew up on, you know, a, in, in South Inglewood, had a lot of coaching ties to a lot of the South Bay schools, Inglewood, Morningside and Hawthorne. And uh, so I was able to, you know, touch base with a lot of those programs there to find talent. Um you know, I don't know that I did anything special, man. I, I think when you step into a program that that that, didn't, that doesn't have as much success as they they hadn't had, I think it was about going in and just breathing up, uh, some fresh air, um, introducing myself to some kids, uh, and trying to get kids to come out uh, for a different experience. Uh, and winning 
four games gave us a really strong boost in momentum, and we were able to kind of take that and into the off season and kind of start building from there. We were able to attract a few more kids and you know win some more games. But in terms of how we started, um, there were sixteen kids there that were on the previous team the year before, and they wanted to coach. Uh, and it didn't matter who it was. There were 16 kids in that program um, that would have played for anyone. Uh, so I would have to maybe start by giving those kids a lot of the credit uh, because they were the, the backbone and the, the foundation layers uh, for my three-year stay there. That first team uh, really you know, took me in and bought into everything that I brought to the table. Um, and I pushed them really hard, made sure that I, I raised the standard and the bar for them academically um, and participation-wise with regards to their attendance and their discipline. Um, taught them a bunch of life lessons and made sure that they understood that uh, nothing less than their best was going to be accepted. I've always believed, man, that when you raise standards and expectations, all kids are going to rise. It doesn't matter what background or environment they're from, whether they're rich or poor, black or white. Um, all kids respond to the same thing. and all They just needed to know that someone cared enough about them um, in both their personal and their athletic lives uh, for them to want to buy in. And I think that was easy for me uh, because I was I had a lot in common with a lot of those kids in terms of my background and my upbringing. And I was able to sell to them, you know, my path uh, to success and was willing to share that with them to help them reach their goals and reach their expectations also. And the last year you're there, you guys go 10 and three, which had to just be fantastic for those kids because then they see that there's, there's really proof in the pudding. Coach told us that if we do this, it, it would all pay off in the end. And it did. You guys win 10 games that year. That's right. Um, that, that, that team uh, was, was put together the, you know, the, the year I got there with freshman class and a couple sophomores. And um, by the time we got to that third season, you know, there was like some real expectation there from those guys because they had put in a lot of work. Uh, and so when that season began, um, I think the daily breeze had us picked to win our league and we were picked to, you know, win our division, um, or at least to make a deep playoff run in our division. And yeah, you're right, Tony, it was very, uh, satisfying, um, for all of us, uh, to take the program from, you know, the bottom of the league to, you know, becoming league champs in three years. I think that was the night we beat West Torrance for the league championship. Um, you know, there was a lot of emotion that night. I think a lot of it came from the kids, um, the teachers, um, and the community. I think that's that's what we set out to do, uh, and, and we were able to accomplish the goal with, with the help of a lot of people. Uh, but but certainly for me, um, my first experience as a head coach certainly very gratifying. Uh, for, for, for myself and the coaching staff. Then you leave losing or you go to Simi Valley, different situations. Yeah. Because Simi hadn't had a winning season, I don't think, in, in ever. It's But it's the same. The, the demographic is much different in Simi Valley than it is in, at losing her. What challenges did you have at Simi that were the same and that were kind of different as well? Great question. Uh, Similar challenges, um, losing culture, um, the, 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 the little bit of apathetic, you know, um, mentality, um, and similar 
in in, in those ways. Different uh, in social economics, uh, obviously. Um, none of the kids at Luzinger had cars. Half the kids didn't see me had cars. Um, when I got to Luzinger, there were only 16 kids in the program. When I got to Simi Valley, there were 150 kids. I had too many kids. I had to go out. I had to go out to recruit kids at Luzinger. I had to find a way to cut some kids at Simi. Um, but we were starting from the same deficit in terms of program success um, and 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 mentality, uh, competitive mentality. So um, Simi was closer to my house. I live in Woodland Hills. My kids were getting older. Um, it's better for me, a better opportunity for me to teach uh, the subject matter that I was teaching. Um, and for me, I saw it as the next step in my coaching progression, a chance to get out to Ventura County to continue uh, making a name for myself as a guy who can build programs. And so um, I took that opportunity for, for all those reasons. Um, and there were some similarities, but there were also some differences. Uh, but, but like I told the admin when I was in the interview process, I'm a ball coach. I coach ball anywhere. Um, if there are kids that want to play football, I want to coach them. Uh, and that's the beautiful thing about our sport is it doesn't really matter where you're from or what your background is. And football, is, football needs 22 dudes and a, and a, and a pigskin, right? So, um, you know, it, it, it was a very seamless transition for me. The people in Simi were great, uh, bought in everything that I asked them to do. Um, I didn't get to finish what I started there, but um, what I did start, people uh, were very, very receptive to. So different um, in terms of, you know, what I was walking into, but I got the same response from both communities, which was 100% buy-in. And that's, and that's great. Then the Crespi job opens up. Did you immediately throw your hat, your name in the mix to get that? No, um, I wanted to immediately, but I did immediately because I wasn't sure about the backlash. Um, and I had some, I had some trepidation about it. I had only been at CB one year. Um, you know, we were right in the middle of our off season, uh, you know, strength and development training, um, really gearing up for my second year. Uh, then my dream job opens up and it, it took me a few days to, to finally send the resume. I, I went back and forth on it with my wife. Um, I think my biggest concern was, you know, having to face the CME community, um, and, and and then you know, run out of town after only you know ten months of being there. Uh, but once I was able to get over that, I was on I was all all in a hundred percent because I knew uh, that you know the Crespi opportunity was one that I just if offered to me I wasn't going to pass up. I just needed to develop the courage to go pursue it. Um, and that 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 took me a few days. It did. And your first meeting with the kids at Crespi, because, you know, and, and I love Troy Thomas. Um, we go back a long way, and, and Troy did a great job. It Unfortunately, things just kind of, you know, didn't go his way at the end. And and once again, you walk into a program that had a few struggles. What was that first meeting like with the kids? I think I signed my contract. I want to say I signed my contract, you know, maybe the third week in February, maybe the 17th or 18th, um, whatever it was, I had, I gave CME a two week notice, right? So I had to go back to CME, teach for a couple more weeks, um, and give them some time, um, to adapt to me leaving. Uh, and, and so during that two week period, you know, I was teaching at CME up until lunch and flying down here in the afternoon to catch up with as many kids and coaches as possible. So 
that was really stressful because I was the head coach here, but there was two weeks before I could get here full time. And so um, that was a tough period. And I think I, I didn't meet the team until March 1st. So there was this two week period where I was kind of showing up every day and I was meeting a couple kids, but I wasn't going to meet the team until March 1st, my official first day. And I did. I walked into the gym and there was 40 kids, Tony. <laughs> Um, and, and as I mentioned, I had been here previously, not once, but twice as a assistant. And there was always, you know, a hundred plus kids in the program, you know, it was never down to 40 guys. And so I'm laying in the bed for two weeks, you know, thinking about what I'm going to say. I've got this presentation. I'm going to get the kids excited. I'm going to walk in. This is going to be this mass, you know, uh, participation line, guys are going to want to play football. It's going to be awesome. And that was not the case. Um, I walked into the gym. Uh, the, the principal made an announcement right before the lunch bell. Hey, anyone that's interested in playing football, please come to the gym at lunch to meet our new football coach. And to, that was when the reality set in. When the principal had to make an announcement to get kids to come sign up at Crespi, that's when it hit me that oh boy we're in we're we're in for a, some trouble here um and i walk into the gym and there's 40 kids there bro and i think that was when the reality kind of hit me because i had just left simi valley where we had 90 guys right so um it was definitely uh i don't want to say a slap in the face that's not the right term it was definitely an awakening for me uh and i definitely realized that moment that my work was cut out for me, um, that it was not going to be easy to do what I was going to set out to do. But, you know, I was two weeks in, man, and, and, and was ready to go. Uh, but I can honestly say the first meeting was not as – was a little more deflating than anything else, I would say. And you told me when we did your game against St. Francis that one of the things you've told people is you can't look in the rearview mirror. That's right. But – you know, when you look at a school like Crespi, the rearview mirror has a lot of tradition, yep. a lot of success that you want to get back to. How do you not look back and say, hey, guys, there were some great players that came through these doors, a, a Randy Cross, a Christian Fourier, a Russell White, and countless other guys that went on to play in college. How do you juggle looking forward but still kind of respecting the past? I think the message uh, is is probably – Two part, right? So it, it, your messaging is all about your audience. So I think for if I'm talking to my current parents, when I first walked in and I'm talking to that group of parents in the spring of 2018, um, they those that, that group of parents, they didn't have any recollection. You know, the parents that are coming here now, they don't know anything about the 80s and the 90s. Um, so I think what I was referencing was the recent history and. I walked into a lot of parents that were really disenchanted with the school and the program, um, you know, 2015, 16, and 17. And it was those recent years that I was trying to tap into and help parents to understand that I needed them to forget about if we were going to be able to move forward. When I'm speaking to alums, people like yourself, the media, our community, um, I always reference the past. Uh, the very first newsletter I sent uh, to all of our constituents back in 2018 was a picture 
of the 2005 uh, CIF championship team doing the snap signal at Lompoc High School. Um, one of the earlier newsletters I also sent um, was was highlighting Russell White and his accomplishments here um, over the years. Um, I've also made reference to the 86 CIF championship team. Um, I do think that honoring our past and our history is a part of what uh, we have to continue to do here. But my message for that group of parents my very first year was specifically related to uh, the last couple years prior to me showing up. I needed those parents uh, to not hold me accountable or responsible for what was happening for two years before I got here. What were the first five things you needed to do when you took that job? Number one, I'm guessing, is, is increased participation. But what were some of the other things that you guys as a staff looked on and said, it is imperative that we do these things? Um, that's a very good question. I was asked that same question. That was the first question I was asked in the interview process. Uh, and my answer then and now was the same. And that was to come on campus and win the hearts and minds of everyone here. Um, as a football coach at a private Catholic school in Southern California, um, I certainly understand the visibility of my role um, and what my impact can and should be on our campus. And I think uh, that was what was missing here for me. I wanted to make sure that I had a personal connection to everyone on this campus, not just, um, you know, the football players, but uh, the kids in the strength class and the teachers and the administrators, um, the alums. Um, I wanted to win over uh, and gather and gain the support of anyone involved in our school and our program. That was the first thing. The second thing was to recruit um, and, and try to fill a roster. I think that was, um, and I think that's going to always be an issue here in, in terms of you know being a small school, but it was even more of an issue that first year. Try to find kids that want to play. Uh, the third thing is was to try to stop kids from leaving, right? Because there were a couple kids. Uh, that were on the fence. Um, so we needed to kind of stop the bleeding there and make sure that we were retaining kids. So recruit and retain. Those are the, will win the hearts and minds, recruit, uh, then retain the kids that uh, were already in the program. The fourth thing was, was build a structure uh, for player development, right? You're going to recruit the players. You're going to retain them. Uh, you do that by making sure that the players are being developed properly uh, because that's ultimately what they want. Some kids are multi-sport athletes. Other kids are single-sport athletes. But whatever you know uh, category they fit into, we want to make sure that we had a player development plan um, uh, for each kid uh, and, and, and their specific needs if they're a multi-sport kid or a single-sport kid and making sure that our off-season training, our practice structure, our, our skill – uh, and fundamental development was all geared toward uh, making sure that our kids were developing and maximizing their potential. And then the fifth thing was uh, create the most competitive atmosphere possible. Um, and we couldn't do that uh, without accomplishing the first four, right? Win hearts and minds uh, of everyone and get, get some buy-in there, recruit to get the numbers up, retain to keep the numbers. Uh, and then once 
we start to develop the kids and we develop that structure for development. Then the last thing is to create a competitive environment. And once we were able to accomplish those things, then put the kids on the field for the result. Um, and so I, I think kind of where we are now uh, is that you gave me those five things. I would say uh, one, two, and three were probably more for 2018, that first year. And we probably got to four and five this year in 2019, if that makes sense to you, Tony. Oh, yeah, absolutely it does. Now, your first game at Crespi, you win. You win your second game. You're 2-0. Things are looking good. Even though you went 3-7 and seven that first year, there had to be some positives that you gained out of that season moving forward into the next spring. Yes, because of those first three, the, the first three goals that we had to accomplish, right? So we won the hearts and minds of the community. A lot of positive buy-in from the kids. I got positive reviews from the administration, and I got positive reviews from all of our players and parents in our end-of-the-year survey. The second thing we had to do was recruit. There were 40 kids when I got in the program. We fielded two teams last year with a total of about 60 guys in the program, and we were able to stop the bleeding because we retained most of those guys, and I didn't lose any kids to transfers or other schools. So once the season was over, uh, we kind of reviewed those things. Did you? Did I win the hearts and minds? Did we recruit adequately enough? And then were we able to stop the bleeding? And once we did, we can we chalked year one up as a success. We achieved our goals. We came in this year wanting to develop a structure for player development and to create a more competitive environment. Um, and so at the end of the season, we'll sit down to see if we can knock out, if we accomplished those last two goals for the 2019 season. And then this year you win four out of your first five. The mood had to be great within the program. You win your first league game in a long time. It's on Fox Sports. We're there. How cool was it for the Crespi community to have that happen? That was the turning point in our season. Um, I think winning the St. Francis game, uh, and, and every coach that's ever taken over a program has a moment um, where he, he sees the buy-in the light bulb come on. We, there's a moment where you you feel like the program kind of starts to turn the corner and people are – and what's happening, your process is being validated, right? Because that's what – that's the probably the most overused term in coaching in sports is, you know, trust the process. And it's tough when you, when you start from, you know, where we started. Uh, but I tried to sell people on two things. Number one, that I had done this before. And that I could see what it looks like. And I, I, I have a vision for a program turnaround. And number two, for if everyone could weather the storm and, and stay positive through the negative, you know, the 50 to nothing losses to Sierra Canyon and the 48 to nothing lose losses to Cathedral a year ago. You know, that is that's the tough part is, is being patient and, 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 and still believing and having faith when things don't go your way. And I think the St. Francis game validated for me and our program everything that we've been saying and trying to get the community to buy into the last couple of years that win and our program has been different ever since and especially now you look at you go into the playoffs you you know pretty easy win your first round then you take on the number one seed ayala and i'm sure a lot of people were thinking all right their run is done but you end up beating them i did you expect the success to happen this quick uh, I told the kids on Monday we were going to win the game. Um, I, I'd be lying if I said I expected our turnaround uh, 
to be this extensive uh, this fast. I don't that that wasn't the plan. The goal for this season, to be honest with you, when we met in the preseason, we we talked about, you know, we had two goals, three goals. We wanted to win at least five games, qualify for the playoffs, and at the end of the season retain at least eighty percent of our 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 participants. Um, when we beat St. Francis week eight, we had already checked those two boxes. Uh, and so in our mind, we've been playing with house money ever since. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to the third goal when the season's done and we'll find out about our retention capabilities. But in terms of our goal for this season, I told the kids after we beat St. Francis, you know, there's no stress on us. Um, we've accomplished our goals. Let's get into the playoffs uh, and take it one week at a time. And I think uh, that that message has, has resonated with our boys and, 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 and we're playing our best football uh, at the most important time of the season. The, the Crespi student athlete is, you know, the football player at Crespi, a tough, grounded, hard-nosed type of kid. What is it about the Crespi kid? Because people look at, oh, private schools. There's families that are that are very wealthy and affluent. The kids are spoiled. But, man, the Crespi kid brings it every single week. It's hard-hitting. It's tough, blue-collar football. What makes them like that? Um. I think a lot of it is, you know, the history of our school, the expectation um, that, that that's held. Um, I, I, I credit um, Coach Garner, um, our strength and conditioning coach, for, for, for his developmental progress um, with our kids. I think uh, Crespi is a legacy school. A lot of kids in our program have family members, dads, uncles, brothers, cousins that have come through our place, and those kids understand the, the, the expectation. Um, you know, the, the, the reason I, I have always found coaching here, uh, such a pleasure is because while it is a private school, you know, Crespi kids are, are a really good combination of confidence and humility. Uh, and, and so we don't get, you know, in a football program, at least we don't get a ton, a ton of kids who are, you know, entitled or, you know, spoiled rich kids. Um, doesn't mean we don't have any. Uh, but our program's culture has always been strong enough um, to get buy-in from every kid, whether they were poor or rich. Um, our program knows no boundaries when it comes to social economic status. Um, I think the sport of football knows no boundaries when it comes to social economic status. There's a minimum price to pay to be successful in this sport. And one of the things that the coaches in this program have always understood is what that minimum cost is. And, um, you know, we're a smaller school and we play with smaller kids and we play with smaller numbers. Uh, but the Crespi tradition is alive and well when it comes to competitive mentality. And while we might not be, you know, a mission league team anymore, we might not be a top 25 um, team anymore. The Crespi spirit is alive and well. Um, and our kids have, have, have earned every bit of recognition that they've received this year, um, especially our senior class, excuse me. Uh, who's endured a lot. You know, those guys have had two coaches. They had Coach Thomas for two years and um, had to put up with me for the last two years and have done a good job of, of, you know, doing the things that we've asked them to do. So kudos to those guys also. And it's being that it's a small school, the the numbers are down, you know, probably around 500, but you've got a lot of multi-sport athletes. You know, the Salerno family, multi-sport kids. There was a great article on Jackson White, you know, a lot of other kids that play lacrosse, soccer, basketball. 
I, I know the answer to this question, but how does that help the individual, the school, and the individual teams? Uh, if with the school, um, it helps us. It helps us be able to field, you know, a lot of sports. We we field thirteen sports, um, and so it helps our school by having you know the ability to to utilize um, a, one kid on three rosters, right? Uh, it's tough to field competitive teams with only 550 kids, uh, but we're able to do it because of the commitments of our families and our student athletes. Um, it benefits the student athletes, uh, because it, it helps them to, to develop different muscles, different skills, um, different, uh, you know, social connections and, you know, it, it, kids buy into the school more, um, they may have a bad football experience, but a good basketball season and a great soccer season. So kids are, are, are not, um, you know, here at our school for just one reason. And I think lastly, it helps the coaches uh, support one another because we share a lot of the same kids. Um, and it, it, it builds a, a fair amount of uh, cohesion um, and brotherhood throughout our athletic department uh, because so many of us, uh, rely and coach uh, many of the same athletes. So it just builds a tighter knit bond and I think creates an even stronger brotherhood. Um, our kids are, 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 are carry a much larger burden um, than many of the kids that we play against, whether they're at bigger private schools or even bigger public schools. Our kids play multiple sports. Uh, they carry heavy academic burdens. Our team GPA is a 3.6 average, man. Our team is 45 guys at a 3.6, brother. Uh, our kids are battling midterms right now. Uh, our kids, you know, they were on impact week. Our juniors were doing community service the week we went to the playoffs. And I, I think that's what I admire most about our kids is that they're able to shoulder so much more responsibility while still given the commitment and effort that it takes to, to be a part of a successful football program. So, uh, I couldn't be happier with our guys. This week, you've got Pacifica semifinals trip to the championship is on the line. What do you know about them, and what's it going to take for you guys to come out on top? Uh, in terms of what I know, uh, the film tells me that they're an explosive run run game team. Uh, it's got some good backs. You know, they're 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 ten and one, uh, so they've obviously had some success. Um, they're they've got some experience because uh, they were they were in the semifinals a year ago. Uh, so I'd imagine that their goal for this year was to get back to this point to try to get back to this game to try to catapult themselves into the finals. Um, in terms of what we have to do, uh, my message to the team this week is simple, man, do your job. Uh, we've, 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 there's, we're the most battle tested team in our, in our, in our, in our bracket. I told the team that two weeks ago when the bracket came out, I still believe it to this day. Um, we've been up, we've been down, we've won some games, we've lost some games, Got our butt kicked. We kicked some butt. Um, we've also won close games against teams uh, that no one expected us to win. I like our resume going into this week, and I think if we can execute and do our job, uh, we'll be there in the fourth quarter again, uh, playing crespy football with a chance to win late in the game. Uh, we can get there. Uh, I think we'll be comfortable. So that's it. You know, we want to keep it simple and make sure our kids know what their jobs are and they do it. They're finally building a pool. Up on the shelf. <laughs> you, you planted some fun times during the summer with the kids, maybe some, you know, like cannonball contests or some silly stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine uh, having that pool on campus is, is going to be a great addition for everyone. 
but because you know the valley does have extreme summer weather conditions um you know i think one of the things that we talked about with uh with our athletic department was maybe finding a way for um our aquatic sports and our football team i think water polo you know water polo team just won cif this past weekend so big shout out to those guys um i think we're talking about you know doing a a, a fall sports um you know bonding deal next year we stay over campus for two nights you know football and water polo kind of football games water polo games um, i'm sure we'll come up uh, with a bunch of strategies uh, to integrate, you know, ourselves and to take advantage of our, our new construction project. Um, can't say that I put a whole lot of thought into it, uh, but but you can best bet uh, that we'll be spending some time in that pool for sure. We're excited about it. Last thing, I want to ask you five quick questions. Just answer whatever comes to your mind. Your dream car growing up. Uh... Chevy Monte, uh, Monte Carlo Supersport. SF, Your baby. favorite television show now, either Netflix or regular TV? Favorite television show now. I would have to say it's a show with James Spader that comes on Netflix. Um, CIA tracking down bad guys. Um, blacklist. Okay. Food your mother made that you did not like at all? Liver. <laughs> I don't think anybody liked liver. Oh, my goodness. Your, your favorite football movie of all time? Remember the Titans. And your favorite subject in high school? English. Fantastic. Well, Coach... Things are happening on Alonzo Avenue. Um, I, I know as an alum, I'm I'm happy the Celts are back, you know, to their winning ways. I'm sure a lot of other people are. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join me here, and and best of luck this week. And I uh, hope to catch up to you with you uh, in the future. Anytime, Tony. Thank you uh, for including me on this week's podcast. Um, it's always nice to hear from alums. Like yourself, uh, that's been a big goal of mine here at Crestby the last couple of years is I think the pride will come back when the alums come back. And, and I, I we're getting better. I know we still got a long ways to go, but um, I'm glad uh, that at least now um, that we, we, we have some hope and some vision for our program moving forward. So I do appreciate you taking uh, the time to uh, to have me here also. Thank you. All right, Coach. Thanks. Thanks again. Uh, thanks for joining me here on the High School Sports Podcast. If you like it, please subscribe. Uh, until next time, be nice to each other, please, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.